Thank God. All right, at this point in time, now just stand with me for a couple of minutes here as we read the scripture for today. Uh, first, let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking him to bless our time together. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you have brought us together once again for your word. And we pray, O oh God, that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart will be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Uh, let those who need to hear the truth of the gospel, let it be plain to them today that they may say, what must I do to be saved? That they may hear the, the truth of, of your son Jesus giving his life in substitution for our own lives and our sins and paying on the cross for our sin. We thank you for that today, Father. And God, we pray that this word will be blessed and, and encourage and enrich those of us who have been believers. We thank you again in Jesus. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn them on or or uh, uh, go to first Peter. Open them to first Peter. And uh, we're going to be looking at first Peter uh, chapter one. This has been a a wonderful series for me. I hope you're being blessed uh, by this series. Amen. Uh, the series that we're preaching from is exile studies in first Peter. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7 on today. Verses 6 and 7. And I want to say this, is that, you know, as we look at this, bear in mind that we have um, uh, multiple thoughts and connections and context. And so, during the course of the week, if you go on our website, BethelWeb.org forward slash Gary, if you need to refresh the context of our, of our messages, the messages are usually up by Tuesday, uh, and you can listen to them and kind of get the context of this and re, um, reiterate it in your, in your own heart. So uh, in First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by the fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we want to talk from this thought, why do God's people suffer? Why do God's people suffer? You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Why do God's people suffer? You know, just as I think about that, that idea of suffering, there's probably likely many people in here today that have asked that question in a more, much more personal way, saying, Lord, why must I suffer? Why do I go through what I go through? Why do, do I deal with what I have to deal with? Why is this world presenting me with so many hardships, so many trials? When I get to yours, just say something. Tribulations and difficulties. Why am I having financial trouble? Why am I having problems in my marriage? Why are my children not doing what they ought to be doing? Why can't I find someone to love me? Why do God's people suffer? And last week, I shared with you that as a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have a salvation that's built to last. Right. It is a salvation given by God 
to his elect children, to his family. It is a salvation worked by the mighty power of his grace and mercy for the benefit of those who would believe. It's a salvation that's solid and built to last. Look at somebody and say, neighbor, your salvation is built to last. It is a salvation designed by the almighty God to withstand the pressures of living as an exile. A spiritual exile in a world gone crazy under the influence of sin and its devastating effects. Now, only an omnipotent God, an omnipotent God could design such a salvation that will hold fast during the most difficult storms of life. Think about that. God has designed you to be weatherproof through the storms of life. Through your most difficult hardships, God has designed your salvation to endure through those days when you feel like doing anything but praying. When you feel like doing anything but giving thanks. When you have asked the question, why should I give thanks on such a difficult day? God says, your salvation is holding fast. I am so grateful that God saved me in spite of myself. Oh, somebody ought to give God praise right there. I'm so thankful that God took a took 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 a, a person like me and and gave me a, a grace that is amazing. A grace that shapes a wretch like me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that he gave me this salvation. So it's built to last. Now, in this message, it is, it is our hope and desire that you will learn that these truths are not only for our mental comfort. That is, so that we can feel better about being exiles. See, if you come to worship the Lord and hear the word of the Lord, and all I do is help you to feel better, that I'm only bringing to truth what Karl Marx said, that religion was the opiate of the masses. You're not in here today just to get high on Jesus. I wish I had somebody here. Can I make it plain? You're not here today just so you can get a good feeling about Jesus. You got to be here today to understand that God didn't, doesn't just want you to feel good, but he wants you to understand that righteous living is the reason why he chose you. We must believe that God revealed the truths concerning our salvation and living hope in order that we might live with them as guides and shapes to our reality. Being saved is more than just a feeling. 
It should guide and shape the reality of your life. Everything you see in your world should be shaped by the fact that you're a child of God. I might not have any money, but I'm a child of God. I wish I had somebody here. I might not have a friend, but I'm a child of God. My car might need prayer before I started, but I'm a child of God. Amen. Amen. Ladies, your purse may not have a name, but you're a child of God. I wish I had somebody. Hmm? And so, and so these truths should shape our reality. And we find this in Peter's writing to us in verse 6. He begins this verse with the prepositional phrase, in this. Everybody say, in this. In this. Now, to what is Peter making reference? In what? What are you talking about, Peter? In this. What do you mean? Peter is clearly making a reference to what he so masterfully shared with us in verses 3 through 5. So verse 6 starts off, in this. In what? Look up at 3 and five, three through 5. Here's what he says in 3 through 5 real quickly. He says, We have a reason to praise God. Blessings be to God, the Father, through Jesus Christ. He says in in, in, in verse in verse three, he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ with an exclamation point. So we have a reason to praise God. The other thing we have is that through God's mercy, we are born again to a living hope. He says, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Then the next thing we have that he says in this, this new birth is accomplished by the death of and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, he says, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have this living hope that's accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The other thing that he says is because we are in God's family, we have an inheritance. We have that salvation that is built to last. And then another thing here is that our salvation cannot die. Look at look at what he says here. He says uh, uh, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. In other words, our salvation cannot die. It cannot be defiled and it would never lose its shine. Seemed like there ought to be some folks excited about that today. You didn't think about your salvation like that, huh? You don't even have to ever wax it. Your salvation always shines. Huh? You don't have to take it and get it detailed. I wish I had somebody here. Your salvation will always shine. And it shines not because of who we are, but because of who he is. I wish I had somebody here. Salvation will always shine. Then the last thing that, that, that Peter is referring to, he says, God is guarding our salvation and he will prove to the world that we belong to him. Aren't you excited that you serve a God that says I'm bad enough to prove who I am? Watch this now. 
See, down here, bad mean good, by the way. I just want to let you know. So, so, so I'm, I'm tough enough. I, I'm, I'm God enough to prove who I am. And see, you know, the world will question God. They will look at your troubles and say, is there a God? You, you having difficulty paying your bills. Is there a God? You lost your job. Is there a God? Your marriage is being challenged. Is there a God? And God says that I am going to prove that you belong to me. Because one of these days, Jesus will come back and get his church. He's going to come back and get his church. And when he comes back and gets his church, it might be on a day that you're really having trouble. It might be on a day where it's difficult. It might be on a day that being married is tough. But God's going to say that I'm going to come back and reclaim my people even if they have a tough marriage. I'm going to reclaim my people even if they don't have a lot of money. I'm coming to get what's mine. We are his bride and he will not leave us at the altar. I wish I had somebody here. And so, and so, and so Peter says in this. In those things we just talked about. In this. Now we have the context of our focus for this message. Verse 6 is inextricably connected to all of these revealed truths in verses 3 through 5. So Peter says, in this you rejoice. I'm going to say that again. In this you rejoice. See, some of y'all need to start thinking about all those things I just said. In this, you rejoice. I have a salvation that will never lose its shine. So in this, I'm going to rejoice. In this, you rejoice. The NIV might say, in this, you greatly rejoice. Greatly rejoice. And I've often said that the world needs to see a rejoicing church. The world needs to see a rejoicing belie- group of believers. The one thing we can't afford to do is, is be silent and quiet and look like the most depressed people in the world. The world needs to see a church willing to rejoice. Andre Crouch, the great songwriter. That went on to be with the Lord a few weeks ago. Wrote a song called Through It All. And every time I hear that song, I get excited. Because he said, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all, I've learned to trust in God. He said, I've had many trials and tribulations. I've had many, many questions about tomorrow. But through everything. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. There's some rejoicing that ought to fall in your spirit through it all. And so he says, in this you rejoice because I have all of these things. I can get my shout on. I can rejoice like never before. And for those of you who are Prince fans, I can party like it's... (laughs) See? 
It's always some. In the <laughs> God, God didn't. God, let me tell you something. God never wanted to take the party out of you. He wanted to change the purpose of your party. I wish I had somebody. Don't we mess that up? As Christians, we say, oh, no, I can't. No, I can't. Oh, no. And God says, I'm not, I'm not taking the rejoicing out your spirit. I'm not taking the rejoicing out of your heart. I'm just going to give you a brand new purpose to rejoice. You used to go to the bar because you're lonely. Now you don't have to go to the bar because you know what a friend I have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs are bad. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. I don't have to be lonely anymore. So God just changed the purpose of your party. Look at somebody and say, keep partying in Jesus. Just as... Don't you go out here talking about pastor told you to go to the club. I didn't. It's not what I said. <laughs> so, so here's Peter. Here's Peter saying in all these things, greatly rejoice. Yet in the midst of our rejoicing, Peter readies the exiles for the realities of living in a world that rejects God and therefore rejects them. Have you ever wondered why people seem to be uncomfortable with you or even shun you when you've done nothing that you can think of for them to treat you in such a way? All you did was show up on the first day of work. Your face washed, your hair done, and a smile and say good morning. All of a sudden, they start treating you funny. Have you ever wondered why you walk into a room and people start looking at you crazy? Let me help you understand this thing. Let me help you understand this thing. See, see, Peter is telling you, tell us about difficulties ahead. And some of them will not will be unforeseen. But watch this. They reject the reason they, that you have this problem. They reject God. And therefore, they reject his presence in you. Sometimes you be trying to hide it. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let people know how saved I am today. I'm just going to try to be myself. And you walk in a room and the Holy Spirit say, uh-uh, not today. I got somebody in here need to know Jesus is Lord. And you sitting at the doctor, doctor's office reading National Geographic, trying to, trying to not pay attention to that conversation that's right next to you. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit inspires your heart. Say, tell them about me. They need to hear the gospel. And before you know it, out of your mouth flows living water. Out of your mouth comes the gospel. And people can see that there is a God that lives in you. So, Peter wants the exiles to know that because the world rejects them, there will be difficulties ahead. And some of them will be unforeseen and even unimaginable. 
and seemingly out of nowhere, trouble will come. Now, I haven't lived a certain number of years now. I didn't understand this when I was growing up. The old deacon used to get in the front of the church and, and he would sing this, the song. And, and the song, one of the phrases says, long as I live while trouble rise. And I'd be like, how does trouble rise? And, and see, the old, old saints knew something about how to handle trouble. They, they didn't have theological degrees, but they understood that trouble can rise up out of nowhere. You don't have to find trouble. Trouble will find you. Hmm? And so, and so, instead of making or taking the stance of simply warning the exiles of trouble, Peter also embraces the truth of suffering as an exile in this world. He does so by revealing three important truths about suffering. And we're going to explore these things very quickly. First thing is the temporary nature of suffering. The temporary nature of suffering. If something is temporary, it means that it's not going to last. Huh? My basketball game was temporary, I found out. <laughs> you couldn't have told me that when I was 18. I thought the jump shot was going to last, Mike Brown, forever. I just thought I'd always have it. I, I thought no matter what, I was walking past a guy the other day. I was holding the ball and the referee in the game. And he said, go ahead, take a shot. He said, you still got it? I said, I have remnants of it. <laughs> the remnants are I know how to hold the ball. I can put it in my hand, and I can still get a little rotation, but I can't jump anymore. <laughs> so, so if I get it up there, it's coming all from the arm. So it's a so I, I, I it's some things in life just temporary. My brother will tell you that he ran a nine flat one hundred yard dash. If you keep talking to him, it'll be eight flat. We tease Kevin because every time he tells a story about how fast he ran, he gets faster. That's a, that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> Before long, you know, he's going to be like cool Papa Bell, turn the lights off and be in bed for the room get dark. I just. <laughs> but there's some things that are just temporary. <laughs> So, so temporary means it's not going to last. So there's a temporary nature of suffering. Look at what Peter says in verse 6. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. For a little while. My brothers and sisters, suffering is a temporary condition for the exiles. Don't you think that you're going to have to suffer forever? It's temporary. Now, it might be here on this earth that suffering will be your lot. But don't be discouraged because forever is way longer than three score and ten. And by reason of strength, four score. Forever is longer than 80 years. If we live 80 years, if God gives us that, imagine that those 80 years mean nothing when compared to living in eternity around the throne of God. 
It's a temporary condition. And you have to approach any suffering in your life as a temporary condition. The old songwriter said, this too will pass. This too will pass. Now, the other thing that Peter wants us to understand about this suffering is that this suffering is painful. He's getting the exiles geared up. He wants them to understand that suffering is many times painful. Look at what he says. He says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. You've been grieved by various trials. Suffering is painful. It's, it's oftentimes sudden and unexpected. Very few people in their right mind will get up on a day and say, I want to suffer as much as I can today. None of us do that, do we? But suffering can come. Trouble can rise. Persecution happens. And it's because you are an exile. You are living as a spiritual exile in a world that has rejected God. And so, oftentimes, my brothers and sisters, we think about the grievous suffering that we have to go through. Oftentimes, we find reason to judge God's motives based on the depth of our hurt. God must not love me. Because I'm in pain. God must have forgotten about me. Because I'm going through a difficult time in my life. If God loved me, my mama would still be alive. If God loved me, my daddy would still be here. If God loved me, I wouldn't have to deal with sickness and disease. We start judging the motives of God. I'm saying don't judge God's motives. And if you do. Be ready for God to answer for himself. Because God says, I can answer for my motives. You want to tell me I don't love you? I'm telling you, you're suffering because I love you. Oh, you ain't getting that. See, ain't, ain't nobody, the Lord told me there won't be too many amens right there. Because, because we, we can't grasp that idea that I'm suffering. You're suffering because of his love. Some of our suffering is self-induced. And God says, I have to let some of them choices you made run their course. Oh, I wish I had somebody here. Huh? You decided to act crazy in school and quit when you were 16. You decided to not pay attention to what the teacher was saying. You decided that you were going to do your thing, live your life, and be the prodigal, and leave and take everything that's yours, and go into a far country, and end up, you know, stomped, beat up, and whooped, and all that kind of stuff, and then come back and say, I can't understand why I'm suffering. God says, I had to let some things run their course in your life because you weren't going to see me until you got down on your knees from the pressures of life. And so and so don't judge God's motives. In addition, my brothers and sisters, we can sometimes be insensitive to other exiles, our brothers and sisters, just because we have an experience their pain. You see, my brothers and sisters, we, we have a way in the church of being really, really funny acting when somebody's hurting in a way in which we don't understand. Amen, amen, amen. Let me give you an example. Say you're counseling somebody and they tell you, well, my husband 
is treating me really bad. The first thing out your mouth, you ought to leave that man. Leave him in Jesus' name. Don't be looking around to see who I'm talking about. I'm not talking about. <laughs> you ought to get rid of him. If I was you, I wouldn't put up with that. Don't you let somebody start telling your story about what you done put up with in your life. Oh, I wish I had somebody here. huh? I mean, we start giving this kind of insensitive advice rather than saying, let me pray with you. Let's go to God together. If any man lacks wisdom, don't ask your neighbor. Ask God. Gives it freely to everyone who inquires. And so, and so, and so this, this idea of other exiles, we have to be careful that we, we are sensitive to their pain, to their difficulty, to their hurt. To their trouble, to their problems, because you never know when your day is coming. There'll be a day when you want somebody to have some sensitivity for your pain and your hurt. Even if it's self induced. So let's be sensitive. The other thing about about Peter's saying here in this in this text is that suffering in this world, it comes in many forms. There are many different types of suffering in the world. There are people in here today that are suffering quietly, suffering to yourself. You're dealing with depression. You're dealing with discouragement. You have to find a reason to keep going. And I want to tell you, don't look for that reason inside yourself in terms of your flesh, but look to the hills. From where does your help come from? All your help comes from God. See, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm going through. I'm saying I may not understand. I may not be able to grasp what you're handling. But I know somebody who does. I know there's a Jesus. I know he understands. And I know he understands on a level that no human being can understand. I know he understands because he made you in his image and his likeness. He understands. Look at somebody just say he understands. He understands. So suffering. In this world comes in many forms. Now, now, so the first, the first thing that really jumps off at us is that suffering in these, even in many forms, it's just all temporary. Now, the second thing that Peter wants to teach us right here is the purifying effects of suffering. Look at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith. More precious than gold that perishes though, it's, though it is tested by fire. My brothers and sisters, your suffering has the purpose of testing or building your faith. Suffering that God allows builds your faith. 
The other thing I want to tell you is that faith that is never tested is never strong. Think about that. If your faith is never tested, if it's never tried, it will never be strong. It's one thing to say you have strong faith when all your bills are paid. It's another thing to say you have faith when the bills are due and there's no money to pay them. It's one thing to say you have faith when your mortgage is paid and the fire is lit in the fireplace. It's another thing to say that you have faith when Nipsco sends you that green notice and the truck's outside your house. Some of y'all don't know nothing about that, but I... What kind of faith do you have if it's never tested? If it's never tried. See, testing of faith is like lifting weights. I can say all day long how strong I want to be. But if the only weight I lift is my fork. (laughs) I'm not going to be too strong, Mike. I got to, I got to, I got to, you got to lift some weights to be strong. And if your faith is going to be strong, if your faith is going to endure, then God allows some, some trials to help your faith be strong. The other thing here is suffering reveals the authenticity of our faith. Let me tell you how God is. God's like this. He wants to separate those people who say they have faith. From those who really have faith. Are you getting me? Somebody see where I'm going with this. He wants to change. He wants to, he wants to be able to make a distinction from those people who say they have faith. You got a lot of folks running around talking about how much faith they have. Oh, I have faith. I have faith that can move a mountain. I have faith. I have all this faith. And God says, well, let's see how much faith you have. Are you going to praise me? Without a job? Are you going to praise me if they tell you you have to take a pay cut? Are you going to praise me if you if you don't get that promotion you think you deserve? Are you going when I get to yours, just say something. Are you going to praise me when your children act crazy? Are you going to praise me when your family is, is, is barely hanging on by a thread? How much praise do you have in the moment of difficulty? God says I need some people with that kind of faith because it's that kind of faith that the world and the unsaved see and say there must be something to this Christian walk. These people don't have a dime and they go around praising God. These people don't have to look like they have a friend in the world, but they go around with joy in their heart and you see it all over them. These they, they shutting down the plant and somebody walking around talking about, thank you, Jesus. I know you didn't close this thing and you're going to open up something else. So God wants to separate those who say they have faith to those who really have faith. See, faith is real. It's visible. It's not just spoken. Now, the other thing is approved faith, like gold that is tested by fire. Approved faith has great value. And what you're getting from your suffering is that your faith is being approved. 
And as your faith is approved, the value of your faith is increasing. Now, some of you understand investment. And investment, you know, you want investments that will appreciate in value. Some of us watching the stock market and we see the, the stock market go up and we say, oh, my 401k doing pretty good. It's growing in value. Well, let me help you understand. Your faith is way more important than your 401k. And, and God wants to give you an approved faith that is worthy and valuable. And so he allows suffering to approve your faith. Now, the, the, the last thing in this section is the type of faith is more. This type of faith is more precious than all of the material wealth in the world. One of the problems with the health and wealth gospel, which is not a gospel, by the way. One of the problems with that false theology, one of the problems is is that the only way you can get approval is to have money. I know some very fine people that I believe in my heart love the Lord that go to churches like that and sit under that kind of teaching and they're frustrated because they've been doing everything the teacher tells them to do. They've waved a little magic wand, abracadabra, They've done all that they say. They have faith, and yet they have no money. And the difficulty that they're facing is that they don't feel valuable. This is why God doesn't measure our value in material wealth. I don't care how much money you put in that casket. It's going nowhere but in the ground with what used to be you. Told my wife she can put me out in the backyard. It's all right. <laughs> Don't spend a lot of money on. That used to be me. That's not me. That's the rapper in which I came. You don't go to Subway, get a sandwich, throw the sandwich away and keep the rapper, do you? <laughs> Absolutely not. You want what's inside the rapper. God's not so much concerned about the rapper. It's what's inside that God loves. It's what's inside that God is making valuable. What's inside is the reason why Jesus died on the cross. Not the rapper that it came in. Lastly, the purpose of suffering. So the question was, why do God's people suffer? Inherently, even though we now know that suffering purifies our faith and increases our value, the question remains as to why. Why does God allow his people to suffer? Look at this verse 7 again. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result. Here's the why. May be found to to result. Result means after everything, this is what you have left. Two plus two results in four. And so after everything, they may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 
In the precious manner of a father speaking to children, Peter writes to the exiles, there is purpose to your suffering. It's not simply random. It's not the result of a God that neglects you. Your suffering is not because God wants you to go it alone or just get along the best you can. Our suffering has purpose in the eyes, heart, and plan of God. The purpose of our suffering. It's to test our faith. To praise, honor, and glorify God. You suffer to His glory. We suffer to His glory. But that's not all. Because if you are going to be grammatically correct and read verse 7, There's something that Peter's revealing here. He says there's a praise and an honor and a glory that's coming at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? It means when Christ shall be revealed, all of those who are his children shall receive some praise, shall receive honor, shall receive glory. We are going to be able to say that it was well worth it to suffer in his name. God's going to say to you, servant, you've been faithful over a few things. You suffered well. You went through some trials. You came through the fire. Like gold, I had to try you in the fire. I needed to burn out all of those impurities in your life. And right now, I'm ready to make a presentation to myself of a church that doesn't have spot or wrinkle. Your suffering. Your suffering is so that one day you and I and every exile in here can receive an honor from the Father. The whole world will see when Jesus Christ is revealed. will see the saints, the people you least expect, who we've looked down upon. And I'm talking about some saints. The people that we bypassed on the street. The people that we crossed the street so we wouldn't have to pass by them. The people that were, were, were downcast by society. God says they suffered and they held their faith living on the street sometime. But they kept their faith not having a place to lay their head. But they kept their faith. And when Jesus Christ is revealed, those people will receive honor. Those who keep their faith will receive honor. Now we understand why we suffer. We now understand why God, through his unconditional love for us, allows us to suffer. It is a clear understanding of God's purpose in my suffering that leads me to rejoice in trouble. To lift my hands in praise even at the deepest and darkest moments of my life, to fall on my knees and say thank you. 
Whatever you're experiencing today, heartache, difficulty, trouble, learn how to praise in the midst of. Don't wait till the battle's over. You ought to shout right now. Don't wait till till you see what's going to happen. Don't wait until you see things. See, that's not faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And so don't wait until you see it. Know that you are a victor, that you have the victory. I can see Paul in his mind as he was writing to the church at Corinth. He says, thanks be to God who's already given us the victory. Now, here's a man that was about to lose everything. But he was praising God for victory that he knew he already had. And so I challenge you today. Why does God allow his people to suffer? Because he wants examples of victory throughout this entire world. And nothing says victory more than people who praise God in the midst of a storm. Come on, stand on your feet all over this room. Our worship team is coming. And in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of our trial, there's something wonderful that we learn. We learn the value of giving ourselves away to God. We learn the value of what it means to say, Lord, you can have all of me. I don't need to hold anything back.